let's let's not get excited here. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm not running anybody's agency or anything. Uh, like I don't know. That's that's what I'm thinking. That's that's what I'm thinking. Well, you you can all, in, in all honesty, if they need any help, they know they can reach me. They know that. Yes, of course, of course, of course. Um. So, but I. I I feel I don't even know where to begin. I just got to talk in uh, talking a little baseball. Mike Antonellis joined us uh, in the previous in the previous segment. Um, actually, I know right where I want to begin. Uh, the MPA had a football committee meeting yesterday. They're looking at uh, possibly two classes of eight-man football. I also know, um, based on following one of uh, one of uh, Danny Ventura, who's on your staff, and some of the other folks, uh, hardworking folks down there in Boston, um, there have been some schools in Massachusetts this year, some football schools in Massachusetts. Uh, that have had issues with uh, forfeitures this year and things of that nature for a lack of players, et cetera, et cetera, um, which I guess isn't surprising, but kind of is a little bit. Like, I expect that in Maine and Vermont, but when you see it in states like Massachusetts and you see it in states like New Jersey and Pitt, and, 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 and uh, Pennsylvania, which is other places I've seen these stories as well, I, I, I guess it, it continues, you, you're continuing to see that uh, with that. Um, what any any concerns about this at all in, in in down your way at this point? And any thoughts about it up here in this way? Well, uh, I mean, I've I've uh, even when I was there, I was kind of in the Lee Horton camp of things. Uh, you made a good case for it last year when it was first possibly uh, talked about uh, in a column for the Sun Journal, and uh, I completely agree with it. It's time. Uh, it's look, it's a. Uh, it's a reality in so many states. You want to talk about high school football crazy state? Look at look at Texas, right? They have variations of the, of the sport all over the place. Why is that? Because it gives everybody an opportunity to play. Um, Texas has a lot more in common with Maine than Massachusetts does in terms of far flung rural schools that uh, just need to give the kids a chance to do something. Um, in terms of Massachusetts and, and what might happen here, I can see that being a possibility going forward here as well. I really can. Um, it's not necessarily about overall state population. It's not necessarily about um, you know whether there's you know kids playing the quote unquote right way. Um, it's about giving the kids the opportunity, the most opportunity possible. If you've got a small school that's got 12 kids that want to play football, well, you're not going to field an 11 man football team. Because they're going to get hurt really quickly, but if you go eight man, you've got at least a fighting chance to give these kids a chance to play the sport. So, do you really want to grow the sport? I mean, you look at college scouts or, or college recruiters; they love recruiting kids out of eight man programs in in the South uh, and in the West. Um, you get some really great athletes who otherwise might not otherwise get uh, scouted or or the opportunity. So, any chance to give these kids a chance to play. I don't know why anybody feels the need to put down a program that just wants to give kids an opportunity to be athletic, especially in this day and age where we, we bemoan kids who don't want to be athletic, who don't want to be, who want to sit on a couch and play video games all day, et cetera, et cetera. Those darn millennials, blah, blah, blah. You know what? These kids want to play. Give them a chance to play. And giving them an eight-man football program is a chance to give them a, a, a way to give them a chance to play. Got to give them something to do, right? I mean, well, that's, that's to me. That's exactly it. You know, I you know, Maine is a rurally uh, challenged and economically challenged state overall. Um, you have the haves and the have-nots. Uh, 
you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're playing 11-man or 8-man or 7-man or, or, you know what, 5-man something. I don't care. You know, if you've got enough kids that want to do it, let them do it. I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't. I mean, it's just... At some point, you got to do something, right? I I also like this idea of uh, of the youth programs all basically being flag football up until like thirteen. Like, there's really just full on full on flags, right? Like, get get that going and and start minimizing some of that stuff. Then start as they get older, you know, fourteen, fifteen. That's when we start teaching some of the proper tackling techniques and things of that nature. Like, I just you know, or you could be showing those the whole way through and just just playing flag. I mean, to me, it's it, it's one of those deals where. You know, there's going to have to be some changes made in the in the terms of player safety, but I think you can still do it and keep the sport okay. And you can do it without having to, you know, make everything favor the offense, too. I think that's nice. So, you know, we'll see how that all works. It's all about technique and teaching it properly. I mean, you can... I don't know that this, you necessarily have to go up to 13 and 14 before you start learning how to hit properly. Um, I think in, in, in hockey, they've gone a little older, but you're still, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and you're starting to learn how to do it properly. Well, hopefully, you're, you're starting to learn how to do it anyway, and if it's being taught properly, then you're in good, you're in good shape. But, um, you know, when I was playing youth hockey, it was peewees when you started. So that was uh, 12, uh, I believe, is, is how old we were. And, um, you'd understand the concept, and you'd, under, you'd understand the you know, shoulder or the hip, um, to the shoulder, to the midsection, to the hip, uh, not to the head. Um, even in hockey now, I see so many people learn how to hit, like, go in hands first. And it drives me bananas because I know that's not how I was taught. I know, knowing so many coaches in the Lewis and Auburn area, I know that's not how they're being taught either, um, at least from the, from the beginning. At the earliest possible point where you think the people learning it can comprehend it and take it forward. Talking with Justin Pelletier, sports editor of the Boston Herald. Um, are you available to play defense for the Bruins if needed? Because <laughs> I, I don't know who's left. So you know, I just... you know, it's, it's scary you say that, and and I've been following this because it's so interesting to me. They, they're down, you know, five guys uh, essentially, right? You get Chara, McAvoy, Miller. Um, I'm like they. One. It's not like they they played better than the Celtics last month. I they certainly did, and and this last little stretch, right? They're what are they four two and one in the last seven? Yeah. With no defense, they had Kevin Miller for what a game. And before you got re- you got hurt again, you know. So part of that is is Rask finding himself, and so now they legitimately have a one-two tandem back there, which is good to see. I mean, I love seeing Yaro do so so well as a former maniac, but that team is not going to be any good without both of them healthy and in their right mind. And I think you're you're seeing that right now. Rask had a great game last night. Um, you know, they, and they played an Islanders team that has been. Better than some expected without Tavares so far this year, um, and Lula Moreau is really starting to put his stamp on that program and very clear. So they're not a tough team, and you had uh, a good game last night. But the Bruins aren't going to win at this point. You know, Cassidy's really had to change the way he's coaching um, because he's he's turned at least temporarily into more of a Claude Julian style coach, preaching defense first and defensive accountability for all the forwards. And you have to when you don't have any defensemen left that are NHL ready uh, or with NHL experience. You know, when, when Steve Camper is regarded as a legitimate NHL veteran on your defensive core, you know, you might be a little thin. You think? 
Maybe you think maybe yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, let's not let's not uh, gloss over the Bruins talk. Let's not talk, uh, gloss over uh, Nifty's number going into the Raptors last night. That was a great sight to see. Um, what the hell took so long? Some people, well, yeah, it's a long overdue for some people, right? I mean, people think uh, he should have been uh, long before this. Uh, I don't know uh, what took so long, but uh, what matters is it's there now. Um, and uh, it was great to see. You know, you had a lot of people. And I really liked the way the Bruins handled it in terms of the actual ceremony and uh, uh, the way they, they the timing of everything, right? Um, usually teams will have that ceremony. They'll do the warm-ups, they'll have the ceremony. All the players are all sitting there on the bench, right, watching the ceremony. The Bruins did it kind of backwards, and they put the ceremony, and then the players went back into the locker room, got ready, it delayed the start of the game for an hour, but from the players being ready standpoint and not making the, the, the players, and the Islanders for that matter, sit there in their skates, uh, suited up, ready to go for an hour or for 45 minutes while this rigmarole happened. Uh, I think they, they did a good job of, of uh, pacing that properly and making sure the players were able to play, and I think it made the game better. Right? You know, you see a lot of times you'll have a game with a ceremony, whether it's a ring ceremony, a banner-raising ceremony, retirement ceremony like that, where the game, especially the home team, kind of comes out flat afterwards because they have to sit through all that. Uh, the Bruins were very smart about uh, putting that uh, together the way they did. and uh, I think, honestly, I think that's part of the reason why they won, is because they were actually ready to play and they didn't have to sit through the ceremony, but they still got to enjoy that ceremony and a very deserving ceremony for someone like uh, Nifty. Talking with Justin Pelletier from the Boston Herald. He's a sports editor of the Boston Herald. I was really surprised when they started Tuca against the Canadians the other night. Like that was really that was that was kind of a shocker to me. I just assumed that they would wait because you know, typically the the narrative is that Tuca's not great against the Habs. So and and stats you know tend to back that up sometimes. So you know I was pretty surprised by that. But sure enough, he 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 played he played well and whatever uh, whatever he had to take time off for uh, you know he seems to have put that past him and, and is moving on. So. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens with that squad. Um, everybody is okay with the Patriots now, or is there still cautious optimism? Like, <laughs> it's you know, I'll, I'll, I can tell you from my perspective. I think there are there, these next three games will, and it's so easy to say that, right? Because the last two games are against the Bills and the Jets at home. So, eh, who's actually going to you know look forward to those two? But these next three, really, I mean, you've got a very good and. It's, I, I want to say it. it. They're underrated. The Vikings have been underrated this week. I really feel like there's been less talk uh, about it, and people are saying, oh, if they went out and if they can beat the Steelers in a couple weeks. And hold on a minute here. This Vikings team has done very well. Their coach has seen very well against the Patriots and, and Brady in the past. Um, the defense by itself already is pretty solid that front. Uh, some of the biggest problems that the Patriots have had have stemmed from not being able to stop that rush and giving Brady enough time to do what he does this year, that, that front line. Well, that, that defensive front for Minnesota is one of the best in the league. Uh, so they're going to have to contend with that. Um, you're also going to have to deal with uh, both Diggs and Thielen have been dinged up. Uh, Thielen has been on the uh, – they've both been on the injury report. I don't think Diggs has practiced all week. Um, so that one-two punch on the receiving core for Minnesota is a little dinged up. But if they're both able to play, that is one formidable uh, uh, duo there. And you put Gilmore on one, sure, but who do you trust on the other? 
so that that Vikings team is is no slouch here, and, and it'll be very interesting to see how uh, that plays out. Now, the big advantage, of course, is at Foxborough, right? So that's uh, where the Patriots obviously play the best, and they've played the best this season. So um, as far as all is right with the world, Alcock ended up back on the injury report yesterday, right? So he was off it on, on Wednesday, and then all of a sudden the was on the again yesterday. So we'll see what uh, what today's practices bring uh, from Foxborough. But uh, I, think there's, I think there's more nervous optimism than anything else right now. I think that's probably the best way to put it. I feel like the nervous optimism comes from the fact that I think, and nobody really wants to say this, this could really, this could seriously, I I look at this year as, and, and you look back on this in, in, in previous sort of Patriots years, it, it kind of reminds you a little bit of 2000 and uh, maybe 2004. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of the first, that was kind of the last year of the first great and bountiful Patriots dynasty in this era, right? Where they won the three out of four. And then in 2005, they came back with Monty Beisel at middle linebacker <laughs> and Dwayne Starks or whatever the hell was left of Dwayne Starks at cornerback because Ty Law was gone. Like, that was a year that wasn't great. Now, the next year, they, they still made it to the AFC Championship game with a cast of characters such as Rache Caldwell and things of that nature. And then in 2007, they had the big year. 2008 was kind of a lost year because because Brady uh, tore his knee up and you know even though they won 11 games they just you know they they finished in a three way tie and and, get shot, and that's just how it worked you know they lost they lost a game at Indianapolis they should have won that year and uh, that's what kept them out of the playoffs and then in 2009 we all remember what happened with that team you know that team just kind of reached the end of the line and guys like Adelius Thomas and guys like that that kind of ended. Then 2010 comes around and, and, and they do some things. And there's so many times you can go back and look at these teams and say, okay, this is when this era ended and this is when this era ended. This could be the full era because, I, you know, Brady keeps talking about playing until he's 45, but you wonder if Gronk's going to come back next year just based on the struggles. Like, I just wonder if physically he wants to come back for next year. And I think, well, here's, here's, here's my thought on that. And, and there's a few people around the Boston area that, that share that. Um, I know our writers... Um, haven't gone this far in their uh, in their takes yet, but he, I truly believe that this is Gronkowski's last year in a Patriots uniform, but not his last year playing football. I think I think as the Patriots have always done, they're going to look for the value, right? And they're not going and and Gronkowski's contract is done, and they're not going to pay thirteen, twelve, thirteen, fourteen million dollars to a tight end who now really needs injury issues and is having a hard time staying healthy. That's not the Patriots' M.O. They've never done it. It has never mattered who it is. They've never done it. You can't, unless you're wearing the pinkest of hats, you cannot honestly look back at any era of the Patriots and find me an instance where they have kept a player on sentimentality when they're on the cusp of possibly being on the downslope. They've never done it. In fact, most of the time, they've been on ahead of that curve and done it a year early. And in fact, it sounds like, from the reporting that I've seen this year, they did try to do that this year. They were, they were testing the trade market for, for Gronkowski in the spring. And had they found the right deal for that and had uh, certain people not gotten it, I think they would have done it. That's what this Patriots team has always done. That's what this Patriots team will always do. And for that reason, I really don't think, unless Ron Kelsey agrees to take a ginormous pay cut, 
I don't see them back in the Patriots uniform next year. I see Brady back here for sure, whether Belichick is here or not, um, because all this offseason talk now, or this midseason talk now, is Josh McDaniels being uh, talked about in, in different instances, whether it's for you know Browns opening or a potential Baltimore opening or wherever else all these coaches are, are going to be gone. Um, you know, he could he could just as well. Belichick could decide he's done this year. His contract, uh, while very private, I believe his contract is up this year as well. So you never know at this point. Um, so could is, is this going to be an end of some kind of era? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but whether it's the full on Brady's done here also era, I don't. I mean, he's still under contract, right? So I don't think uh, he's done this year. But I certainly believe Gronkowski is done, and I. I I'm on the fence about Belichick at this point. Really? See, I, I, I am, I am not worried about Belichick at all because I, I, I feel like one, I don't think he wants to go anywhere else, and two, I don't think he's ready to stop coaching. I know he said a few years ago he didn't want to be Marv Levy, but you know, I think he's still trucking with it. I, I think he's fine, and the way he's kind of handled the organization the last couple of years. You know, looking at the, fee- I mean, you you could you could argue some of the moves. Like, if he was planning on leaving after this year, you know, is he really going to trade Brandon Cooks? Is he really going to, you know, what I mean? Like, those are the instead he drafts the light or the the you know Isaiah Wynn, who's going to be the the tackle of the future eventually when it, once he gets healthy. And you know, Sony Michelle has been quite a great find at the end of the first round. You know, I still think he has that fire left. I think he wants to. I think he wants to rebuild the Patriots into a winner. Um, not that they're not a winner now, obviously, but. I think he'd like to keep them relevant and as good even when Brady retires. Whether it's a whether it's just a an ego thing or just a challenge thing, I think he's the type that would get that would need that challenge. Well, because I'll be honest with you, then if if that's the case, then you're going to see Josh McDaniels gone after this season. I think that's what's going to yeah. tell what the future plans are. Because if Josh McDaniels, I think I think when they brought him back from the cusp of taking over the Indianapolis Colts last offseason. There were promises made to him. And he's not going to stick around if he feels those promises are going to get broken. And so do you really want to see a scenario where you have a, a Brady and Belichick with no McDaniels, no Gronk, possibly no Edelman, right? I mean, contract-wise, uh, you know, you've got, you've got an Edelman uh, coming up. You've got uh, Hogan, um, who's, uh, what are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with Josh Gordon? You know, I mean, you have so many question marks going forward. I don't know. I don't see Belichick having rebuilt them. I don't. I see Tony Michelle, who was still here after as well as he's done here. So many people here in Boston hate the fact that he drafted Tony Michelle because they want to help elsewhere first. Receiver, you know, for instance. Yeah, and, uh, and, and you know what's funny, though? You know, for instance, Dante Hightower has been a shell of himself this year. Oh, yeah. There's not much you left know, to Dante. And his back helps. Stephon Gilmore and then who? Yeah. The, the, the McCordy brothers are, are solid, but they're not, you know, Deion Sanders back there. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Jason McCordy, I don't even think is Jimmy Hitchcock over there, you know? <laughs> but you know what I mean. So what building really has Dante done for the future of this team? It almost feels to me like he's done more of the how can I patch one more together before I'm done, and then the next person's gonna have one heck of a time trying to fix this. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. 
All right, we'll see. We'll see how they do it. I mean, I, I don't think Hightower is going to be back after this year. I, I looked at his salary cap hit. This is actually something I looked at earlier in the week here with Wing uh, on the air. And, you know, it looks like he's, you know, he's going to be uh, probably a candidate to get to get cut. And, you know, there's going to be a, a great big upheaval. So you wonder if they're going to get draft picks and kind of go from there. And, you know, if I'm Josh, Josh Gordon, at some point I'm going to ask myself, okay, you know, if if I stay here in New England, I've, I've pretty much, for the most part, you know, outside of some late meetings, allegedly, um, I've kept my nose clean. The discipline has been good for me. The structure has been good for me. This move has probably been good, as good for me personally has, as it has been professionally. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I, what am I going to uproot that for? Now, I don't know who's advising him or not, but I still think they're going to, they're going to find the right thing. I, I still think there's, I still think there's possibilities that there could be a, a giant blow up in, in, in San Francisco after this year if they keep losing. You know, what if they decide to make Garoppolo available uh, in the offseason and just decide to, to go after uh, the, the kid from Oregon with the number one pick, right? Like, and fire Shanahan and just and, and blow the whole thing up again and, and try to start over because this year was such a disaster. You know, was this year a disaster for them because Garoppolo wasn't there? No, I don't think it was. It was the year. Right, but okay, you don't think so. But internally, what are they thinking? Well, and that's the question. Cause right? Are they thinking, let's, let's see what this looks like with Garoppolo first? We'll look at it like this. You and I have watched some, uh, you and I have been on the sidelines watching some struggling high school football programs over the years, okay? And when the same teams make the same mistakes year in, year out, year in, year out, you and I both know what typically causes that. It's usually the system. It's not just because it's the same kids rolling through because it's different kids making the same mistakes, right? So in this situation, I, I think it's kind of that same sort of scenario. I have, in, in the amount of uh, Niners games I've watched this year, whether it's on replay, whether it's live, whatever it is, they're making the same mistakes. I mean, running out of time before the play comes in and having to call timeout with, with three minutes left of the first quarter on a, on a, on a second and 12, like just... Dumb, stupid thing, uh, 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 illegal procedure penalties, or uh, not enough people at the line, or schematic things that you never see a Belichick have happen to them. You know what I mean? Just constant stuff, lack of undisciplined play. Now he's probably going to get a a a, a shenanigan or a mulligan. Excuse me. You could call shenanigans on it. Uh, he'll probably get a mulligan because of all the injuries, whether it was Jarek McKinnon, whether it was uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, they've lost so many players over there this year. But when they all come back and they're still doing the same things that they were before all of this stuff happened, like how much longer do you hang on to him? And then what do you do with Garoppolo? Like, do you want the highest paid quarterback in the league on a team that's, you know, probably going to be competing for another top five pick next year, depending on how things go? You know, I, I don't know if, if that's possible. And if, if New England happens to be in the market for a quarterback and, and can afford him, and Belichick's there, or hell, even maybe even McDaniel's there. Why not make that move? You know, so I I still don't think any of that's over. I still think there's there's probably a whole bunch of other shoes to drop. But you know, I I really look at this year as as somehow this is the last ride uh, uh, of one sort of Patriots dynasty. Whether it's the Belichick Brady thing, whether it's the Belichick Brady Gronk thing, whatever it is, you know, this is like uh, the Shield or the Freebirds or anybody else breaking up. Uh, something's happening. And there's going to be a heel turn at the end of the season. I think. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. There's one. There's one hot take that I've given this year that uh, everybody keeps rebuffing me on, and I'm still gonna. I'm still gonna give it to you anyway. Wouldn't it be fun to see Bill Belichick return to the Browns? They're going to have a coaching vacancy at the end of the season. 
They're going to want someone who knows how to build a system around a franchise quarterback like Baker Mayfield with some good pieces already in place there, another good solid draft, and that team is all of a sudden probably the favorite in that division. I, I really think they're almost there now. And had they started with the right coach to begin with, they would be considered a playoff team right now. And I'm almost wondering if Belichick wouldn't like that as his final project. We all know how much he likes history, and he likes closure, and he likes, you know, I'm I'm almost wondering if he would go back there where it all started for him, where he had terrible teams, and close out his career with taking that team to that next level. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. I, I still think it's more likely McDaniels ends up as the coach over there because it sounds like he was the one who was in love with Mayfield, but I'm not really I sure. I don't know why Josh McDaniels is considered by so many as a hot coaching prospect. He was awful. I know. Well, be, Denver. I, I, he was awful I don't even Denver get, as a head coach. Don't even get he me was, started. Don't even get me started. He was decent as a coordinator in St. Louis, but he was awful as a head coach He's been awful everywhere without Belichick. So why do why do teams all of a sudden think he's going to be good without Belichick? I I've never understood that. It, I don't take it as far as you know Nathan Fournier over at the Sun Journal despises the man and the, the the Patriots have won all these games despite him. No, I think he's a good a coordinator and a very key cog in the Patriots uh, in the Patriots system. But I don't see him by himself being that guy. Certainly not with a young quarterback that needs to be molded. Josh McDaniels' success has all come with a veteran quarterback who can work with him as almost a partner in the offensive scheming. You know, he and, he and Brady. You're not going to ask Baker Mayfield to partner with you in, in developing offensive scheme, at least not yet in this stage of his career. So that's going to be straight on him. Even as a coordinator there, I think he'd struggle without the proper support. Justin Pelletier is the sports editor of the Boston Herald. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you uh, next week. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Take it easy. Thank Randy for me. I will. I will. Thank you. Randy Whitehouse will join us in just a few minutes here on the Beale Daily from the Spectrum Health Care Partner Studios across the NBR radio network. Don't move.